so good for us to be able to share some time this afternoon and for us to start this journey through our new series, uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth, or looking at the idea of the kingdom of heaven. It's one of those ideas which is uh, so prevalent in the teaching of Jesus. What is a kingdom? I think we've seen some just quite extraordinary scenes over the past week in terms of what does it mean to be a nation? We've seen the scenes in America where they, it seems as though that society is, is really creaking to try to understand what does it mean to be American? What does it mean to be British right across the world? We are struggling to understand what does it mean to belong, to have that sense of um, togetherness to be part of. If Jesus talks about a kingdom, he's talking about that very same idea, that sense of belonging, that sense of coming under a leadership and a rule. And he's saying that the kingdom of heaven, as he describes in many occasions, is, is near, it's here, it's to come. It's this strange kind of multifaceted idea of the kingdom. And so we want to spend a few weeks just thinking about the, the ways in which Jesus describes the kingdom. One of the overwhelming um, messages, I think, of the kingdom, and really to, to start us off on this, is it is astounding grace that we might be part of that kingdom. I've seen two, well, I've seen one reminder reading a book uh, this past week, um, which pointed me to another reminder in the Bible of what it is to belong by grace to the kingdom of heaven. In, ironically, um, it was reading Barack Obama's uh, autobiography who prompted me to think of the astounding grace of the kingdom. He describes a moment where he sat at um, one of the many inauguration dinners after he'd been um, voted to be president of the United States. And he said that as he was sat in this amazing place with uh, an incredible setting, astounding food, he looked across the room and he caught sight of his father's Kenyan mother who was sat at the table eating. He, he really didn't know his father that well, it seems. And I don't know how the connection came about, but somehow his grandmother on his father's side was sat at this table. I don't know how uncomfortable she was eating this incredible food. And he said that he, he stepped back and saw this grandmother sat feasting with cutlery and crockery that was reserved for leaders and kings and queens and just reflecting on the idea that this grandmother had been brought to America from her shack in Kenya with a tin roof and no running water. What a contrast. It reminded me of a picture in the Old Testament in the book of Samuel, a man called Mephibosheth. 
who is uh, related to the king to King Saul. King David has taken rule after King Saul has tried to kill him. And against all of the cultural norms, David sought out Mephibosheth, who had uh, become lame by breaking both of the ankles or some problem in the ankles or the feet when he had been carried away on fear of the family being killed. And Mephibosheth had been found. And Mephibosheth was invited against all of the cultural norms which would say that David would wipe out all of the all of the descendant line of the previous threat. Mephibosheth, we read in Samuel 2 Samuel 9.13, lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. What an incredible picture of the grace of the kingdom that those that picture of David and Mephibosheth prepares us for, prepares us for the idea that we might be part of the kingdom of heaven, that we might be, if you like, ushered in, broken, unworthy, poor, brought to a table of astounding privilege to feast with the king. That's what it means for us to be part of the kingdom of heaven and what a privilege it is. And so we want to just begin by by looking at the way Jesus introduces the idea. Many of the kingdom parables, they're really short. The one that we're looking at uh, this afternoon is just two sentences. But we need to understand how it all starts in, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46 to 50. Uh, we read this, Matthew 12, 46 to 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mo mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's Jesus introducing the idea for us, this radical shift, all of those previous allegiances, which remain in many senses important. Jesus isn't saying we now disregard our family. He's saying there is a greater belonging for those who are outside can now become part of this heavenly family. The disciples of Jesus, the ones who are his followers, they he identifies that they are the ones who belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's a radical belonging. It completely reorientates our, our self-centeredness, our tribalism. It shifts us and takes us to this elevated place, which says that the kingdom of heaven in a way is now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, 
the kingdom of heaven is to come because there will be a day when you will truly understand what it means to feast at the table. But what is the kingdom like? Well, Matthew chapter 13, 1 to 3, we start to understand how Jesus begins to unpack the story of the kingdom. That same day, the same day that he had identified the disciples as being his family, his kingdom, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Can you imagine this? Imagine the scene. Um, I, I, it was a huge privilege to be able to go and, and to actually see Galilee. And just to imagine that on this shore, this incredibly beautiful still lake uh, and the the country rolling hills dropping down into the water was so packed and congested with people that such large crowds gathered around him that he got into about a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore this picture of jesus sitting in a boat his voice traveling across these this crystal clear water with with a silence people hanging on his every word and he told them many things in parables he grounded the idea of the kingdom of heaven <clears throat> not in some highfalutin spiritual language he said the kingdom of heaven is like things which are really rooted in the physicality and the reality of the world that we live in. The kingdom of heaven is not some spiritual, ethereal thing that is out there. It's a very physical thing, ultimately. It's a, it's a thing which can be described in terms of the things that we value inherently as people. The treasures, the things that we think of worth. And so our instincts of value, in a way they are true, but they are disorientated. And in the same way, our instincts to hold on to this physical world are, are in a sense true, but they're inappropriate and they need to be redeemed into a greater understanding. And so Jesus unpacks the idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like into very, very physical, grounded, rooted, heaven on earth kind of things. And we're going to look at one of them this afternoon. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. It's incredibly simple. It's very short. And it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. I, I think that's just so simple a picture. Um, we live in a, a little village called Aquith and um, a, a number of years ago, a good number of years ago, there was um, somebody who was digging in their garden and they found some ancient treasure. It's known as the Aquith Hoard. 
uh, and it was it was literally ancient treasure and it, it it was one of those remarkable moments i guess this particular picture it it isn't quite like that it's something which was far more part of the cultural norm of the day let me describe it in this way in the ancient world there were no deposit boxes and banks there was no sense of uh, real security homes were made out of uh, stone yeah but there was no complex locks you could break into buildings relatively easily you could generally break through the roof which was kind of sticks covered in covered in a, a, a straw and mud mesh just to, to break it through we know that story where jesus had a somebody lowered down in front of him while he was speaking to a crowd and so during that ancient world during that time people routinely would bury their valuable treasure they would bury it for a number of reasons perhaps they were going on a very long journey they were leaving their home unattended there would be some things that they might leave um, in their home you know they probably wouldn't worry too much that people were going to steal a pot or or a set of uh, cutlery or whatever it might be but their valuables they would very often take out and they would dig a, a hole in the ground and they would bury them before they went on a long journey maybe if they were going to be away for months they would also bury them if they felt as though they were coming under imminent threat if there was the the threat of of imminent invasion from a, an opposing nation you would find that people would bury their treasure and of course in the ancient world there would be many occasions where somebody would bury their treasure they would go on a, a very long trip and they would never return for whatever reason maybe they remained in that place and forwent their treasure for the sake of where they now were maybe they died on the way whatever maybe they captured and so the treasure would remain buried in the field why this man is digging in the field we don't know but we know that he's digging in the, in the field and he finds treasure that is buried it seems as though the law is fairly simple the treasure belongs to whoever owns the field and so the man when he finds the treasure you can almost picture the scene he's digging in the field his his spade or hoe or whatever his plow maybe just knocks up against something solid he investigates and he looks in and he he recognizes that there's treasure that he has found and and in looking around he he recognizes that he is the only one who has found it and so he covers up the treasure again and he goes away and he makes it his task to go and to buy the field there's nothing illegal in what he's doing he buys the field and the treasure that has been hidden in that field then belongs to him that's simple you see what we also 
identify in the reaction, in the response of the man. When, he, when the man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went. To find the treasure was a joyful thing. I think there are, there are many things that we can learn from this, but I think Jesus is writing this parable so that we might think about what the kingdom of heaven means for us as the first hearers on that shore of Galilee, as Jesus spoke to them from a boat. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, I am now going to tell you this simple parable, which has a timeless meaning so that wherever we are today in the 21st century, whether you're part of Christ Church, um, whether you're listening live, whether you're listening on catch up or whether you're listening from any part of the world live or in the future. Here's the thing. Jesus is telling these simple stories to prompt us so that we might think, what does it mean to understand the kingdom of heaven? And therefore, in understanding the kingdom of heaven, how might I be part of it? There are th three things that I just want to draw out. First is this. In finding hidden treasure, finding the hidden treasure rather, redirects the man's immediate actions redirects the man's immediate actions. Here he is, why ever he's digging in that field, we do not know. But immediately on finding this treasure, his actions change. He stops plowing, he stops digging. He puts down his tools his immediate actions are changed. Whatever he had at that moment been engaged in has become irrelevant. And he commits himself to the new task of acquiring this field. His immediate actions have been completely shifted. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. One of the other things that Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven is that it's this multifaceted experience. It's outside of us. It's within us. It's here. It's now. It's in the future. It's to come. It's present. But one of the things that the kingdom of heaven absolutely is, is it is our own internal, immediate, personal experience where we become, as we saw earlier, where we recognize that we have become disciples of Jesus and becoming disciples of Jesus redirects our immediate actions. It reshapes what we are taken up with doing. Does that mean that suddenly we, we don't go to work tomorrow or we don't do whatever is normally part of our life? Of course not but it completely redirects the reasons by which we do those things. It reshapes why we do everything in our life. Our immediate actions are redirected when the kingdom of heaven breaks into our lives and reshapes us.
The next thing that we see, that finding the hidden treasure changes the whole of his future life. Again, we're living in this story in a world which is no social security, no um, provision, what we have and what we can build up uh, in terms of wealth in the immediate, our immediate family providing for us is what is going to secure us as we get older and older. As we enter into late life and we're no longer able to um, provide for ourselves by working, we become reliant on what we have amassed during our lives and our reliance on our immediate family. And so what we were able to do during that time, I guess, in many ways, not that different to a pension, although we live in remarkably different times. What we are able to bring together during the present changes our future. And it was the same for this man. It changes his future life. This is an overwhelming life-changing event. That's why it's, it brings a, it becomes a source of joy because this changes the whole of his life. I don't know what his fears were, what his concerns were, what his worries were. But what Jesus is, is putting his finger on is that when this treasure was found, the man's confidence for the future was completely changed, completely changed. And that's what the kingdom of heaven does for us. It completely changes our future. It reorientates our future. It gives us a future security now. A security which it might not seem in human terms to be so secure as we might think. But when we understand that idea of the kingdom being now present in this world and future in eternity, it's a continuous thing. It's, it's one and the same and yet uh, experienced in different ways. We understand that what Jesus is saying is the value of the kingdom is it changes our future security. I love the fact that Jesus describes the value of the kingdom in kind of really real earthy terms. This man has now become rich and his future is secure, but the parable breaks down because ultimately death will take this man. But the parable points us to a greater hope, which says no matter what, your future is secured. Your eternal hope is secured when you discover, when you identify, and when you recognize the value of the treasure of the kingdom. So it redirects his immediate actions. It changes the whole of his future life. And the third thing I would say is that finding the hidden treasure makes him re-evaluate his existing wealth. Do you see what he does? The man on discovering the treasure, 
he buries it again and he goes out with a new course of action. But the new course of action that Jesus describes is very specific. He went out and he sold everything that he has so that he can buy that one field. That is mind-blowing as a picture. The value of the kingdom of heaven is such that it reorientates, it causes us to re-evaluate all of our existing wealth, all of those things that we hold on to, all of those things that we think are valuable. When we understand the true value of the kingdom of heaven, we realize that comparatively speaking, they are worthless. They do not compare. We can, in a way, we can, we can treat the things that we currently value, those things that cannot be eternal, in a way that we can say they're there, but compared to the eternal value of the kingdom, I can sell them all. That's the value of the kingdom. That's how remarkably life-changing it is for you and me when we realize the value of it. We change our immediate direction. We change our future. And we re-evaluate what we currently think is of value. We've just been through a strange Christmas. But I think, like every Christmas, it reminds us uh, that we live in a, a consumerist society where we, we want to amass things. We want to amass trinkets that speak of value. What this parable says is that the kingdom of heaven is incomparable in terms of its value compared to those things that we tend to rely on. It reminded me of something that a man called Jim Elliot said. Jim Elliot was uh, a missionary and he gave his life uh, when he, he committed himself to sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus with a remote Amazonian tribe and he was killed by them. He said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Really, in a way, it sounds so profound what Jim Elliot said there, doesn't it? In a way, he was paraphrasing what Jesus had already said when Jesus said this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it will find life. How can Jesus say, if you lose your life for me, you'll find it? How can he be so sure of that? The reason he can be so sure is because he lost his life so that he might find us. That's the hope that the message of the gospel brings us. Hi, Matt. And hello. You all right? Yeah, good, you? 
Yeah, very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Um, thank you for that uh, first uh, session. That uh, was, was really good and, um, yeah, really helpful just, to, I think, to give the context of with Barack Obama. And I think that really helped in terms of that. Made me want to read the book, actually. <laughs> so well, uh, I might do that. I have to, here's my confession. When I say read the book, <laughs> it's actually an, an audio book. Not, All uh, right. That's fine. Yeah. It, but yeah, get yeah. this. It's 29 hours long. So wow. how big it must be as a... All right. How All big right. it must be as a... <laughs> A paper book. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't right. paste it if it was that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not read it then. Maybe I'll do an audio book like you then. Is it actually narrated by him? Yeah, it is. Is yeah. it? All right. Okay. So he's Go a very easy listener. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. No, I might do that. Great right. picture though. I thought it was an amazing picture. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it reminded me of the uh, of the story, and I can't remember which one, but it says about the. Is it the same person about the scraps under the table? Is it the one yeah. that says, you yeah. know, even I can get some of the scraps yeah. on the table? Yeah. And I just think for me, that's how I feel sometimes, especially when I come into things like this, when I'm mm. doing a message, when I'm um, kind of doing just different things. You think how un unworthy we are, you know, we are sinful yeah. people. And if, if God does anything through us, mm. it's like the scraps of the table for me. It feels yeah. like that, you know, if God uses yeah. me in any way, yeah. then you know, I'm so grateful for that. And that's, yeah, that's a personal thing for me. So I, I yeah, found yeah. that really, really helpful. Um, yeah. In terms of like, you, you said about belonging and, you know, in terms of the kingdom and obviously the things, the scenes that we've seen, you know, on the news and things, you know, and it's really, it's really come to a boil, hasn't it? Everything that's, mm -hmm. that's gone on. Mm -hmm. um, why, why is that so within us it's, it's it's about identity isn't it and about kind of yeah. this you know we belong to this 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 you know why is that so important do you yeah. think that I, th I think we're we're actually as human beings we're actually made to belong to each mm. other the, the problem is and the reason why many of us become cynical towards belonging is that all of the all of the contexts in which we belong in this world they always ultimately let us down yeah. They're always ultimately led by something which doesn't quite fulfill all of those expectations. We're so tribal. We're mm. so unable to um, to bridge that gap between us and people who are not like us. Mm. Uh, and that's one of the amazing things, I think, about the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom of heaven, if you think about it, it's it's worldwide. It's drawing people from every cultural experience mm. every cultural framework of thinking um every time-phased fame uh, way of thinking mm. so across millennia people are brought together and and ultimately the kingdom will be experienced in people who have massively diverse perspectives and yet yeah. we are one in jesus christ and that draws us into this this sense of oneness uh, so he becomes the way in which we reconcile. Mm. And that's the problem with world kingdoms is that ultimately we, we have to be reconciled because my way of thinking is reconciled to your way of thinking or your way of thinking is reconciled to my way of thinking. And actually the, the way in which the kingdom of heaven works is no, 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 no. Both of your ways of thinking are reconciled to Jesus' way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So why? So in terms of that, you know, what do you think it does to a people when that is the case? You know, we haven't. You know, in terms of for me, it removes that um, that cause of division, I suppose, yeah. in terms of, and I know you can say Christianity has caused a lot of division, you know, um, and that's kind of another thing, but in terms of kind of the kingdom, that division of we are all, me and you, we're, we're the same, you know, our yeah. ways of thinking may be yeah. completely wrong, but we are going by yeah. Jesus and what he has done and who he who he is. Yeah, I mean, Jesus came and brought division, mm. let's be honest, Jesus yeah. came and brought yeah, yeah, division. Yeah. But the way in which he brought division was ultimately by him being willing to be killed for those who disagreed with him. Mm. So ultimately he brings a division which is which is totally servant-hearted, but ultimately triumphant and victorious as well. So yeah, the yeah, very yeah. way in which they he appeared to be defeated, the very way in which the kingdom appeared to be crushed is actually the way in which the kingdom is forged. Mm. Uh, and I think the other thing that the kingdom does is for every one of us, it does two things. There are senses, there are ways in which we think which need to be crushed. Mm. And, so, and so the message of Jesus breaking into our heart confronts us, challenges us, and breaks us down so that we would be conformed to him. But there's other ways in which all of us in our own ways are also broken yeah. uh, because those inner, that inner made in the image of God experiences that we crave after are not fulfilled. Mm. And the kingdom of heaven comes to nurture and to to implant those desired for experiences as well. So it does both of those things. Yeah. It confronts us and changes us and it nurtures us. And and every culture and every every people group <laughs> will have differing ways in which they need to be confronted and nurtured. Yeah. Of and that's the way in which that our different perspectives ultimately become reconciling jesus mm, mm, yeah yeah and i think you're right it, it looks different and we've got to and that's fine you know mm. that's absolutely fine for it to look different um mm. uh and that's the amazing thing about the church isn't it it's a global mm. you know it's, it's global it, it could be every tribe and tongue and nation and mm. you know it's, it's an amazing thing um so we talk about the kingdom. We talk about it's multifaceted and and everything, which is which is amazing. If we look at the situation, kind of, we find ourselves in. You know, we're saying, well, the kingdom's not tangible. I feel like that that person, you know, that person who's you know getting food from the scraps of the table, but I just don't. I don't feel in the kingdom. I feel kind of just isolated, alone, not not yeah. with people. You know what? And and it's really it's really easy to feel like that, isn't it? You know, yeah. to feel yeah, kind of. I think I think this parable really points to that as well. Mm. If you imagine, we don't know. I mean, it's a parable, so we can't push the we can't push the idea too hard. No. But but what the man wasn't able to do, he wasn't able to immediately acquire the field. 
he had to go away and he had to sell all of his current possessions. There's a, there's a space of time between him knowing and finding the kingdom mm. and truly experiencing the kingdom. There's a gap. Mm. And that, I think we are living in the gap more than the experience of the gap, possibly more than we we ever have done. Yeah. Because our ability to gather together, our ability to worship together, gives us little flavors, little experiences of what the kingdom will be like ultimately. And so when we are cut off from that and we're relying on the best that we can do with with streaming and it you know it's better than nothing when we are when we are doing that we're living very much in that gap we're mm. living in the experience of the man and what we need to do then is remind ourselves that we have found a future treasure mm. we need to kind of i think um i think it was lloyd jones who said one of the things that we need to do at times is we need to preach to ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's true. We need to remind ourselves mm. that the kingdom is a future value. Mm. And and the man, the man knows, he absolutely knows that if he sells everything and buys that field, he has a mm. treasure. Yeah. That's yeah. how secure the kingdom is for us. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the fact that he reorientates his life, that he, he completely changes direction. Yeah. Someone watching this and they're thinking, well, I don't really want to change direction, to be honest. I'm interested in this. Hmm. I'm interested in this kind of kingdom talk. I'm interested yeah. in, but yeah. completely re reorientate to sell everything, you know, and obviously we're not saying sell everything, hmm. but I just think, wonder if just, as we as we draw to a close, we can speak a little bit into that and say, what could that look like for us today? Um, I yeah. think one of the things that I would say with regards to that is maybe the reason that you're interested, maybe the reason that you're looking on to this is because you know that there is a treasure that you do not yet possess. Mm. There is something that you experience, that you know deep down inside, that you look on at the value of this message of hope and you value it to a way that you, but you are confronted with the idea that is it valuing, valuable enough to let go of the things that I think are of current value? And that's mm -hmm. the step of faith. To, and actually it's the journey of faith because we don't actually go and sell of all of our possessions. We mm. don't let go of those things that we value at day one. No. We learn little by little to have our fingers gently peeled off the things that we value yeah. and at times prized off the things that we value. Mm. And we begin to realize over time. So it's faith. It's saying, I would say, trust, believe that the bigger hope is worth exposing yourself to letting go of the things that you think are of current value. Hmm. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that. Um, it's uh, we've, we've used it plenty of times. The um, example that Tim Keller says about falling, and then you kind of have to reach. Yeah, and just having 
trust and faith and that thing will hold yeah. you kind of thing not the yeah. fact that you know it's all about you it's the thing that's going to to Absolutely. hold you and it's, it's really doing that so no thank and you it, Paul. and it's a battle it's a battle to come yeah. to that but the reality is we're battling in life anyway absolutely and so which battle do we want do we want a battle which is coming to understand that hope or do we want a battle without hope yeah absolutely absolutely and and then let me just uh, say guys you know this is something which you know is, is continual and you're not going through it alone it's something which mm. um you know contact us um if you want to be involved in a life group speak to one of the pastoral team um we are going through times which are really tough but we have a hope which outlasts them all um and yeah that that's what this is about and we'll continue to proclaim that um so yeah so thank you paul that's right. great um hope everyone has a good week um and gets ready for uh, the next installment of our, our series next week hope you have a um, just a blessed time um and yeah have a great week take care bye everybody bye -bye.